the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. I want to welcome you to our Monday edition of Lifeline. So glad to be with you on this Monday, day after Resurrection Sunday, by the way. We had a phenomenal time. I hope you did as well. With all of the things that we are going through, all of the challenges that we are facing in terms of the coronavirus and the shutdown and the shelter for cover and all of that kind of stuff. The Lord is still exceedingly good to all of us. And that's really uh, what I want to say in our opening uh, monologue is that that God is good. And uh, and if you can hear me, we would be glad for you to um, just chime in with us for the next two hours on this Monday edition of Lifeline. Uh, let's see. The number to, to catch up with me is one 367 367-5329 on this Monday edition of Lifeline. Just glad to be with you. Wonderful weather out. We've got a perfect, pristine day, if you will, uh, where the Lord is blessing the weather in spite of the biological challenges of not only the nation, but the world. Um, how can I open up? I mean, you know, I'm looking forward to talking with you and uh, just kind of uh, cross-hatching ideas and, uh, and perspectives about about where we are. Um, but I guess really what I want to do, I want to encourage you out of Psalm 27 right now and then uh, just see where that will lead us. I was meditating on it a bit earlier and I want to read a portion of that. And then uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit about the coronavirus and where we at, what stages we're in in terms of the uh, political agenda and, uh, and its impact on the people of God. Yeah, definitely want to continue talking about how this new normal is going to impact the relationship of the church and the state and how we are advancing definitely towards a um, towards a much more sensitively, uh, what might I say, more um, big brother, technically advanced big brother system of, of government, which will have some impairing of our constitutional freedoms and rights, of which that's going to be a big conversation because, you know, biblically, the scripture is very clear uh, when governments are operating out of a kind of fear, phobic, uh, self-centered mode, the rights of citizens are definitely always sacrificed for what they would call, quote unquote, the good of the whole. Uh, and, and according to what we already have learned for years, the dialectical process of this kind of communistic, fascist, totalitarian, man-centered system, which must ultimately manifest itself in the governments of the world, the global government, the pseudo one world system, 
has to put itself in a position where it exercises absolute monarchical authority over the people of the world. So, yes, we are headed towards those stages of controversy and conflict for the people of God. But I will tell you that that is not new for us. And we need uh, we need to be very careful that as we with one eye look at the way our world is shaping with the other eye, keep it fixed squarely upon the rule of Christ, the reign of Christ and the revelation of Jesus Christ is laid out to us in the word of God is what I'm trying to do with our flock here in Hayward. Uh, to not only encourage them and to build them up in terms of taking their roots deep into the reality of a sovereign God during this time, but getting them prepared for a much more real-time, relevant uh, immediacy of prophetic fulfillment as laid out in the book of Revelation. The book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ is really given to the church, notwithstanding all the other arguments that are held out by different worldviews and particularly different eschatological views, the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ is given to the church to show the church how it is to function in a world that cyclically goes through the different periods of prosperity to problems and persecution, prosperity, problems, persecution, prosperity, persecution, and and, and problems. Uh, our world is always going through the cycle of ups and downs and, and uh, again, prosperity and persecution. That's the nature of our world. Uh, it is the topsy-turvy system of unregenerate man being tossed to and fro as the waves of the sea. And the people of God become the object of, skew, uh, of ridicule and scorn when it does not comply with the rules of the world. One of the policies that are that's being now questioned today is, you know, how will this coronavirus system uh, be employed against the church to stop it from gathering together uh, on Sundays or whenever the church decides to gather together? And we already knew that that was going to be a player in the new normalcy that's coming around because the Bible's clear. The whole world lies in the lap of the wicked ones so that our rulers, not all of them, have a love for God or have a love for the word of God or have a love for the truth of God. And so you have some governors already imposing extremely rigid uh, laws of imposition against uh, the local churches that want to try to maintain respect for the um you know social distancing and, and shelter for cover principles while at the same time gathering. And, uh, you know, I'll talk a little bit about that in, in a moment as well. But before we do that, I do want to read a portion of scripture that I think is very helpful for all of us to remember. This is a word from David, King David. I'm going to read the whole of Psalm 27. And again, the, the lines, if you want to enter into dialogue about how you're seeing things unfolding, whether or not uh, we're going to actually be able to get back to things as we have known them before, or whether or not you're concerned that we are moving towards really difficult times. I'd, uh, uh, I'd be glad to, uh, to, to, to hear from you in that regard. one 888 David said in Psalm 27 these words, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? That's a preaching proposition right there. The Lord is my light, not the world, not politics, not science, not education, 
not technology. The Lord is my light, my revelation, my clarity, my understanding, my wisdom, my science, my theology, my worldview, my epistemology. The Lord is my light. That's what he's saying. And he is my salvation. That is my trust, my reliance, my, my, my dependence is God himself. He's my salvation. In other words, I'm not trusting in the government. I'm not trusting in science. I'm not trusting in technology. I'm not trusting in the, the global world system. I'm, I'm not trusting in G20. They can do what they want to do, good or bad, not trusting in them. The Lord is my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Now, because the Lord is my light and my salvation, what David is saying is, I have no grounds to fear anyone but God, no matter what the policies coming down the pike will be. And that's good news, brothers and sisters. When you make God your light, your revelation, your illumination, your understanding, your clarity, your guidance, your guide, your instructor, your paraclete, your wisdom, your Torah, your instructions, your commandments, your reproof, when you make him your teacher, he'll keep you. When you make him your salvation, he'll preserve you. And, uh, and, th and therefore, our fear can be reserved for things that are critically important, like fear God and keep his commandment. David says, when the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came up to eat my flesh, they stumbled and failed. And that's true for all of God's people, ultimately. Though a host should encamp us about me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. Now, there's the principle that every believer needs to understand. If you're going to be safe during this time, you have to be committed to one thing, seeking the Lord. He says that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Do you notice what David says? Now, David is at the center, at the height. He's at the pinnacle of politics. He's a monarchical king, one of the greatest kings in the world. His kingdom is prosperous, rich, and renowned. He's a king with a senate and, and, and governors and rulers and, 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 and magistrates under him and powers under him, not only locally but abroad. And what does he say? One thing that he's interested in. Standing in the presence of God, Coram Deo, having fellowship with the true and the living God, beholding the beauty of the Lord. He's talking about Jesus. Beholding the beauty of the Lord and inquiring in his temple. In other words, David knows there's a lot that he doesn't know as king. And in order for him to lead the people of God appropriately, God has to tell him what to do. And here, child of God, as David is, so are we. For David's a great type of Jesus, and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes unto the Father but by him. As Christ laid the path for you and I, this is how we follow it. God's our light. He's our salvation. And one thing we want, and that's to dwell in his presence, Coram Deo. If we're in the presence of God, we can behold the beauty and splendor and fullness and efficiency and sufficiency of Jesus, who will let us know of things that have been, things that are, and things that are coming. That's his purpose as the great shepherd of the sheep, to lead us beside still waters. You and I don't have to worry about the rough currents that are taking place in the world among men and women who intentionally and volitionally reject the counsel of God. Let them work out the rapids and waves of their own destruction while you and I keep our eye fixed on the shepherd who leads us into paths of righteousness for his own namesake and to lead us beside still waters, the still waters of redemptive reality. The still waters of the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The still waters 
of the freedom of the grace of God in Jesus Christ that grounds us in his righteousness and establishes us as the people of God so that there is never at any time from henceforth on into eternity any condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. And so while the world is struggling through all these issues, trying to figure out where it came from and where it's going, you and I don't have to worry about that. We know where it came from, a sovereign God who uses all things for the good of his people, for those that are the called according to his purpose. We understand that. Good, bad, and ugly. God made it all. He determines it all. He purposes it all in order that you and I might look to him. And that's where we are. And this is what David is saying. David made it very clear in Psalm 27 that the one thing that we should be seeking is to dwell in the house of the Lord, beholding his beauty and inquiring in his temple. Now, we can do that even now. One more word, for in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me, and he will set me upon a rock. What good counsel King David had in time of trouble. And that's what I want to encourage you in as well. When you and I are really fixed on the Lord Jesus and deeply pursuing him according to his word, we have a peace that passes understanding. And it keeps and guards our heart in Christ Jesus and yeah, we have our troubles in the world, but be of good cheer. He's overcome the world. This is a series we're working in the book of the Revelation right now, Tuesdays and Wednesdays, 630 and then Friday, 630 and then Sunday again, 10 o'clock. We're in the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And I tell you, he's talking to us. He's talking to us. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. I just wanted to exhort you around that word. I've got all four lines open. one 367 one What's going on with the coronavirus? How is it impacting you? Are we going to ever get back to normal? Are we worried about it impacting us in terms of how the people of God are to worship and and things of that nature. If you want to talk about it again, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'm Jesse Gistan. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. We will take a break for a few minutes, pay some bills, and we'll continue this conversation on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. All right, we're back. The time is 527 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. If you tried to call in, we were having some difficulty. Um, give us a call back. The number is one 367 Be glad to hear from you. We were basically opening up talking about the importance of comfort uh, around uh, where we are at this present time because... We just kind of know that there are going to be a number of changes that are going to be very much more impactful in our lives than they have been in the past. For instance, right now, uh, the, the president is certainly talking about um, opening up uh, business again, getting back to some kind of normalcy around uh, working. But as the experts in that field, the economist and uh, and other uh, spokespersons around that subject matter have already stated that's not going to be as simple as people going back to work. You can't have uh, the kind of virus impact that we're dealing with in terms of corona and have people to just go back to normal. That's not going to happen. So even in uh, in light of, of, of uh, Trump's wanting to reopen the economy, the experts are arguing that it's going to be slow. It's going to be a slow recovery. 
Policy makers around the world are debating when and how to start reopening business. A major uh, meat plant closed indefinitely after nearly 300 workers tested positive. Yeah, and, and that's just, there you go. So what, what's going to be of concern is um, business leaders uh, will have to be able to determine how to uh, test, how to uh, prioritize, how to uh, quarantine p- people that are potentially capable of getting sick, uh, people who have recovered from the sickness. We've got to uh, we got to be extremely measured about any kind of recovery system until there is a legitimate vaccine. Listen to what is said. President Trump is in a rush to lift restrictions on economic activity amid the coronavirus pandemic, convinced that the move will rocket the economy out of a deep recession. Companies say otherwise, however. So do a wide variety of economic and survey data, which suggests that the economy will recover, but slowly, even after the government begins to ease limits on public gatherings and allow certain restaurants and other closed shops to reopen. The evidence suggests it's not just stay-at-home orders or other government restrictions that have chilled economic activity in the United States over the last month. Listen to this. It's also a behavioral response from workers and consumers scared of contracting the virus. Absolutely. In other words, what this article is saying is a lot of people are not going to just act like the virus has utterly disappeared. They're not going to want to go into places where they could pick up the virus. And then California looks like New York. Ladies and gentlemen, New York has lost 10,000 people. 671 of them in one day. That's a lot of people dying. In other words, this is not just the influenza bug, and we have to be careful not to make that kind of diminished interpretation of the events. That would be wrong. It would be wrong for us to play it down as if, you know, you're not really dealing with a serious virus. First of all, the virus is not only killing older people, not only killing black people, but it's also killing young people. And and you never know who it's taking out, depending on your immune system. And the vulnerabilities of your own genetic makeup. So it's not like we can just go back to normal. It's not going to happen. Again, New York, Italy, Rome, other places where the pandemic has completely pulverized their country indicates to us that, uh, that we have a problem. But you know what's quite fascinating to me? One is that, um, uh, Got it. One is that um, in in uh, in China, Wuhan, uh, Wuhan rather, they only had three thousand people to die, and they're kind of on the up upswing in recovery. And yet here we got ten thousand that died in New York City alone. Now I am comforted to a certain degree, not that I I, I should be, but I am comforted to a certain degree at the fact that um, you know we uh. We only have about, how many in California? I'm thinking we're at about 59, 60 people or so. I'll look up the data, but it's not that many people have died in California. Most of them that have passed uh, are down in Southern Cal. And again, I'm not saying that to, uh, to, to, to even have any kind of uh, discriminatory view or prejudice towards Southern Cal. I'm simply saying that um, we have been able to avert the catastrophic impact of the coronavirus 
here in California, and it's probably be, been because we did move quickly enough into the shelter for cover and uh, implement uh, you know, social distancing effectively enough to where we don't have uh, clusters of people who have been impacted radically. We've already seen how many people have gotten sick in our uh, convalescent homes. We've seen that. We know that. And as a consequence, we we do want to be careful not to um, not to presume that it's going to be okay if we just open the doors wide open. We're not. We're not going to. We're not going to do that. That's that would be absolutely insane. So we do have to exercise uh, legitimate, legitimate, uh, legitimate care when it comes to social distancing. Again, let's see here in California. Oh, we have had 651 deaths in California, most of them in Southern Cal. Now, that's bad. That's bad. 651. But it's nowhere near the 10,000 plus in New York City, and overall, 22,858 in uh, in America up to the moment. Now, listen to me. This is only after we have been able to confirm a half a million people by testing. We got 350 million people in America. We haven't even tested over a million, really. We haven't been able to, uh, you know, really get a good handle on on all of them. So I don't think we actually have any real clarity on what the extent of this is going to be in terms of we just haven't been able to test people significantly enough. And so again, if you want to talk about it, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine, only because this is going to be uh, something that's going to impact us for a long time. The the facts are clear that we won't have any kind of real open door to going back to normal for many of us until after May, uh, maybe even up into June. And here's the tension: the tension is between. Um, dealing with the coronavirus and an absolute plummeting economic system. Absolute plummeting economic system. So, yeah, the president is being optimistic. He's driving towards letting everybody know he wants to get back to a new normal. See why? Because there are states in the union that are doing fine, that did not implement or operate out of a kind of rush to judgment and, and lock everybody in their houses. And, and they did they did pretty well. Every state did not have a cover for shelter policy of this kind of radical nature. And they appear to be doing fine. So, you know, whatever the uh, mode of, uh, of, of societal framework exists in those particular states, whatever uh, levels of uh, distancing in space, maybe these are rural states where there are not a lot of people in them. But if you were to look up a, on a map of the United States and look at the clusters in the which, um, you know, we have the numbers around the uh, coronavirus California, again, 23,300, uh, South Carolina, 3,300, Georgia, 12,000, Atlanta, 3,500, uh, you know, uh, let's see here, Illinois, 20,000, Texas, only 13,700 in that big old massive state there, uh, Nebraska, 820, South Dakota, 730, it gets horribly bad up in New Jersey, in New York, in Massachusetts. Just bad. New York, 188,600. 
with, as we already have said, over 10,000 deaths. And so it's a great differentiation between the states. Every state does not have to operate out of the same kind of urgency that New York has had to operate out of. And again, for my for my uh, for my money, I'm, I'm thankful that we did what we're doing. And I'm thankful that we just don't have the horrific uh, negative anticipated outcome, not only in California, but in the nation, because the president was talking about upwards to 800,000 to a million people dying. Now, again, we are not yet anywhere near a full fledged testing period where we can say we have covered the nation, where we can say that we now have a strategy for handling, quelling the coronavirus. We just don't. So we got a long way to go. And we have to be prudent. We have to be careful. We have to be thoughtful about how we can, um, if you will, uh, deal with this in this new normalcy. But again, here's the tension around it. I, I, I think I think you, you might feel what I'm saying. The tension is this will significantly impact some people's work. And if the government continues doing what it has already done, printing money at the level of trillions of dollars, do you understand that we are producing a banana republic? We are producing a slave state. We are operating out of a massive level of debt that does not guarantee that we will come out or enter into any kind of prosperity for decades at the level of which they're printing out money. The dollar is already extremely weak. As you know, California is one of those states where it's absolutely ridiculous to live in cost wise. And that's only going to go up. That's only going to be uh, even more difficult in the years to come. You're going to see a significant difference between the haves and the have not. Now, how, how, how is that going to impact us in terms of the relationship with our country? I can, I can tell you how that's going to impact us. When we are operating more out of uh, a lopsided country where the vast majority of the relationship between the rich and the poor is that there's a major, major, massive 60, 70 percent poor uh, 10% wealthy, 20% uh, just making it. That's a devastating condition. That's an, a wretched, horrible, uh, decrepit condition to be in as a country. And what that means is the government will have absolutely much more power over the citizenry because they have no way of coming up out of that economic prosperity equals freedom. Economic prosperity equals economic, social, domestic freedom. Without being able to make money, we can't be free. How do I know that? There are those of you out there right now who are struggling with your income. You can call and confirm, love to hear from you, that if you are facing the idea of being out of work for another three, four, five, six months, that this has every potential in the world to devastate you. If we don't get back to normal, we can't sell, we can't buy, we can't interact, we can't do the commerce, we can't, you know, trade goods. We are talking about poverty levels exponentially. And that will impact many men and women of faith as well. Um, so, yeah, you know, this is something for us to think about. And again, 
when when uh, when Governor uh, Newsom and I, you know, he just doesn't sound like the kind of person that is pro-church. Quite quite frankly, he he's very pragmatic, but he doesn't sound like a pro-church person. He doesn't sound like somebody that wakes up in the morning trying to figure out the best ways to help the people of God get back to a normal life of faith and service. He's not as bad as some states, Cuomo and others. Who are in some of the states, some of the states, uh, governors in different states that want to just the governor in in uh, in Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky, uh, fining people for uh, even doing what is called uh, movie theater modes of, of worship. You remember remember long ago when we used to go to the drive-in movie theater, you drive up and ride up on the hump, roll your windshield down and take the speaker and put it inside your windshield. And sit there and watch a movie. What a dorky way of doing it. But we did. Do you remember, do you remember that? Uh, but, uh, you know, I, you know what you had? You had privacy. You had freedom to hang out with your girl or your boys. However y'all wanted to do. Get high. You know, whatever that was. That was your freedom. Well, there were there have been churches that have wanted to operate out of it. Ken talked about this last week when he called the program of uh, being able to do a movie theater type of. Uh, movie theater type worship where you drive up on the premises and and if a speaker is loud enough people can just hear the message i was uh, i totally was open to that possibility i think it probably would be much more practical particularly given larger churches like ours because uh, our speaker system would have to be way up loud for you know 500 people to be able to sit and listen 600 people to be in their cars that would be kind of impractical too um, but if they could come in, if they wanted to, and listen by virtue of their uh, cell phones um, and whatever other media, iPad, a, you know, uh, social media methods by which they could listen, then they could. But see, if they're going to listen on their computers, their laptops, their iPhones, iPads, then why not just do it from the comfort of your own home, quite frankly? Um, but yeah, this new normal is going to be extremely impactful for all of us. It's going to be difficult. Just not is not going to be is not going to go back to normal until we actually effectively find a way to uh, to vaccine against this uh, this virus so that we we secure our citizenry against another wave of a pandemic. And uh, I don't think a, a prudent government would allow us to act like it's over with and just go back to normal. Um, that's not going to happen. So they will be doing different kind of measures, different kind of approaches, different kind of strategies. And maybe that will help. But I do know that a lot of you are really going to be in trouble economically in terms of if 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 this if the economy doesn't take on the integrated system of uh, complex work structure that requires people that are in sales, people that build things, people that sell things, people that uh, trade in uh, in what we call in, in, in the uh, replenishing mode, you know. Uh, refab mode is another word, but uh, restoration and and, 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 and and dumping and loading and remodifying things is a great waste management. That's what it's called. Uh, and what, that, that whole process has to actually be working together in a collaborative. You got to have, have people building. You got to have people selling. You got to have people people buying. You got to have people uh, removing stuff and remodifying stuff and reselling stuff. And then you still got to have your uh, a very healthy, robust medical industry 
with the capability of dealing with a pandemic at any time in any of our states. And right now, if you were to look up the data on the uh, load that is just massive on the medical industry, we couldn't handle a pandemic in the states in which uh, the frontline medical industry, medical uh, workers are right now just exhausted and overburdened with helping the people that we already know have contracted uh, the coronavirus, COVID-19. So yeah, that's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a real challenge. It's not going to be normal for a long time. In any event, we, we have to take another break. See, the number is one 367 I'm not sure if we did have a, um, have a phone line problem. Somebody call and confirm. one 367 Call and confirm that our lines are working. They, they may or may not be working. Um, I'd like to know. one 367 We'll press into some other issues uh, relative and not so relative when we come back uh, from the break. You're listening to the Monday edition of Lifeline. Your host, Jesse Giston. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. All right, we're back. The time is 549 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. We've just been talking about whether or not uh, we will get back to a, a kind of normal pattern and the implications of it. Uh, the implications of it being that if we do go back to a normal too quickly without wisdom, it's very possible that we could enter into a second phase of the uh, pandemic. And we really don't want that. I mean, as I'm tracking with it every day and watching it across the nation and the world, what I don't want to do is I don't want to see it happening in a way where we would all be uh, looking up and saying we have loved ones and relatives that are sick and ill and dying. We already know of people who have um, already succumbed to to the virus, and we wouldn't want to hear that again anywhere. Um, on the other hand, we absolutely are concerned that uh, if we find ourselves dealing with the kind of trillion dollar, multi-trillion dollar bailout that our government is already implementing, that this just creates a debt system that that makes it impossible for for um, the persons and people that are barely surviving to be able to cross over into any kind of comfort comfort level of, of life existence. One of the things I said before the break is, is if you're struggling economically around this, I'd love to hear from you. What is the impact in your life that you're not able to, to work? And what, what is the ultimate, ultimate trajectory or, or estimated, you know, point of, uh, of, of collapse for you if, if you're not able to get back to work, if you're not able to sustain it? Or, and here's another question I'd like to ask you if you're already going through it. Is the uh, government uh, bailout, if the stimulus, or it's not so much a stimulus, if, if, uh, if they're helping you with unemployment, uh, uh, you know, some of the uh, surplus money that's going out uh, for people that are having to stop working, is that adequate for now? Can that work for you for three months? Will that keep you from being off the street? Will that keep you from um, succumbing to uh, being homeless, um, or, or, or what? one 367 Let me go to line number one and talk with Mark, um, from San Jose. Line, line number one or two. Mark, are you there? 
Are we there? Are we are we on? Are we connected, you guys? Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two. Trying to see if we're on. I know we've been having some. Are we there? It sounds like we are. Okay. Who is this? This is Thomas. Oh, Thomas. Thomas, where are Thomas from where? Uh, Hayward. Okay, Thomas, what's your thoughts, comments, or observations, sir? Uh, my thoughts, I just, I don't think the virus is a, as, as big as a problem as other things we have to deal with, like the bad leadership and the uh, majority of the wealthy and the influence they put on society. Expand, expand on that. I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear what your premise for that position is. Well, I, I think uh, we just have a lot of people in places of leadership that aren't leaders. They're uh, they're crooked politicians, and a lot of big companies um, manipulate the system and Hollywood and the media for their own benefit. And I think mm -hmm. it's pretty evident. And it's much more dangerous than this virus, in my opinion. Okay, so yeah, let's tell me, Thomas. What you're not by yourself. There's a lot of people that have um, have that have that conviction. I I, I certainly am extremely um, I'm extremely uh, suspicious of a lot of our government's policies and it's particularly what I would call uh, crisis management modes of, of governmental uh, implementation. Um, but what, what, you know, what, 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 what's, what's your background around that particular concern? Politicians are crooked, no doubt about it, but you, you don't believe that this virus is really a legitimate danger or concern? I think it definitely is. It, it, mm -hmm. it definitely is concern, especially considering how much we don't know about it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it came from China, is, is yeah. what we think. And, you know, they're not reliable, so I don't trust any of their numbers. Mm -hmm. um, I see a lot of data that doesn't doesn't seem reliable or the sources don't seem reliable to me. Right. Especially New York being so bad and we're not here. Uh, that seems right. really odd. Um, there's, there's a lot of things that I question. But to go back to the original point of... Uh, the government and the wealthy being a, a bigger threat, even if we didn't have this problem, we would still be facing that and the heavy influence they have on the way we live. Um, and there hasn't been any pushback, you know, and there's a lot of misinformation and um, there's a lot of people suffering and living in unfortunate situations prior to this that wasn't being addressed. Um, and that was you know, concerning before it just happened. So I agree with that. I, I totally I'd like to know your thoughts on that. <clears throat> yeah. Well, uh, I, we're, there's, there's some parallels for sure. Uh, Thomas, in terms of, uh, my eyes have been open for a long time to the nature of politics and government, uh, biblically first as a pastor and as one who has for many, many years, um, uh, sank my teeth theologically into, um, you know, uh, eschatology and, and a biblical framework of understanding how governments uh, operate over the masses of people. Uh, biblically, you only have really one kind of, of governmental system that God really recognizes, and it's a monarchical model. 
and the monarchical model can break itself up or take on different shapes and forms in terms of totalitarianism, a fascist regime. It can be, uh, you know, it can be uh, families that that actually operate on an oligarchical level or um, or uh, like the big G20 uh, countries uh, that are basically governed by a wealthy, uh, you know, what we would call robber barons who have most of the money. Uh, are at least influence over most, most of the uh, money and have for a long time. Uh, everybody knows this. None of this is new in terms of uh, how these governments operate and how the Federal Reserve System is implemented around the world in order to manage the, uh, uh, the, 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 the flow and impact of, 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 of money. In uh, so doing, as long as they can still somehow manipulate the market, because the market is manipulated. Again, anybody working in the market, they know that the market is a, go- a gossip system among the wealthy as to how to, you know, all it requires are the right parties saying the right thing publicly and opinion shifts the market and the people who are wealthy can just absolutely prosper uh, uh, you know, uh, remarkably from it. Like if we ever come up out of this crisis, the wealthy will be uh, uh, again hundreds of times wealthier uh, than they were even before this crisis. Which I think I said this in, in an opening, my opening monologue. That what that does is the gap between the rich and the poor that is already preposterous, as you would know, particularly in America. Um, becoming even more uh, exponentially uh, broad to where you have a few who are, you know, just barely making it. The vast majority of us are treading water and the government necessarily then is able to impose not only draconian laws, but very pervasive, pervasive uh, uh, illegal constraints on our freedoms. Uh, That's almost inevitable ultimately from a biblical standpoint of governments being nothing but beasts. Solomon said man is like the beast that perishes and when power is given to him he will exercise levels of oppression and from a from a theological standpoint Thomas many of us are fundamentally aware that that's where we're going in the trajectory of our world and so we would agree with you that in spite of the virus that is the that was the agenda overall because we haven't had a true healthy economic system by which all of us could prosper in an equal fashion and therefore live a substantially free life the the numbers have been false in terms of you know what constitutes a, a good living here in California you know the notion that someone has to make $150,000 a year uh, just to barely get by in the Bay Area just means that our economic system is so out of whack that the inflation numbers uh, makes makes us slaves. We are in a debt system that makes us slaves in the first place. So, yeah, we're treading water, and at some point it will collapse under us, and the government then will have every right to, um, to be a, a nanny state, a draconian nanny state. And the other part that you had noted is that um, – you know, people are not rising up to do anything about it. Well, I, I think I've been talking about this for decades. Quite frankly, we are going to sleep on a number of levels, Thomas, spiritually, uh, politically, socially, 
And when we fall asleep like we do, it simply means that we have collapsed into a welfare state mentality where we expect and depend upon the government to uh, to take care of us. And yeah, that they love for us. That's a slavish mentality. Uh, no pun intended. When we are at that level where our freedom uh, is worth giving up, if we can feel like as long as we get a check. It's really not a slavish mentality. It's more of a welfare system mentality, if you know what I mean. If we just get a check and they promise to keep a roof over our head, then they can tell us what and what to, not to do anytime they want to. Yeah, it's it's concerning. I, I'm curious to see how it'll go and uh, what, what God will do, but uh, it's definitely concerning. Hey, so where, where are you from, man? Hayward. Okay, born and raised? Yeah, I actually okay. I, I played the basketball league with you. I've been to your uh, to your sermons. Okay, man. Cool, cool, cool. Um, I appreciate I appreciate you calling. So, how long have you been tracking with us? Uh, probably early two thousands. Yeah, uh, I got yeah. Some, some family and friends a part of your uh, your church. Okay, okay, cool. Well, keep your ear open, man. Stay woke. And uh, I appreciate the call and, and, and call in again anytime, man. Don't, yeah, and, and I, don't let me quell. I, you know what I do if you've been listening to me long enough. I, you know, I love to hear the fr- uh, the foundation and framework upon which you know people think to make sure that you know we're dealing with a grounded sense of discernment and awareness uh, versus what I, I've, I've had to deal with way too many times. People who might be a little bit on the fringe of, of paranoia, but not really rooted in sound biblical principles. And in terms of discernment, discernment is in essential. Uh, paranoia, it, it, we don't have to be paranoid, but we do have to be discerning. So, listen, I appreciate your call, bro. Look here, I got to take a break. The number is one triple eight three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. If you want to call and and uh, share Thomas's sentiments, love to hear from you. I, I do know there are a lot of people who share Thomas's sentiments about being concerned as to where our government is going with this. And we can talk about it on the Monday edition of Lifeline. one 367 5329 I'll be right back. 